Hello, I'm Karen Long, and you're listening to The Asterix, a production of the Annisfield Wolf Book Awards. An asterix is a reference mark, indicating an omission. Today, we're figuring out some holes in our knowledge with Sonia Sanchez, poet, playwright, and an activist who has lectured on more than 500 college campuses. She has spent most of her life calling people toward freedom and dignity with her pen and her voice. An architect of the Black Arts Movement, Sonia Sanchez won an Annisfield Wolf Book Award for Lifetime Achievement in 2019. She is an ancestor to so much of what we enjoy in the world of literature today. We like on this podcast to get out of the way of the word. So Professor Sanchez has kindly agreed to give us a sample of her work. Some haiku? That's right. It's a haiku sequence that I did for Harriet Tubman. And I began it with additional texts um, from the Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad State Park and Visitor Center. And they have these people, these formerly uh, former slaves, um, um, I call their names, and they say, in the exhibit, we are free because of Harriet Tubman. Hmm. We are free because of Harriet Tubman, December 1850, Keziah Bowley, James Alfred Bowley, six years old, Araminta baby, John Bowley free, early 1851, Moses Ross brother, June 1854, Winnebar Johnson, Christmas 1854, Robert Ross, alias John Stewart, brother, Henry Ross, alias William Henry Stewart, brother, Benjamin Ross, Jr., alias James Stewart, brother, Jane Kane, alias Catherine Stewart, fiance of Ben Ross, Jr., Peter Jackson, John Chase, possibly George Ross, unidentified, possibly William Thompson, early 1855, Harriet Ann Parker Ross, alias Harriet Ann Stewart, free wife of William Henry Ross Stewart, Sr., William Henry Ross, free son of William Ross Stewart, Sr., John Isaac Ross, alias John James Isaac Stewart, free son of William Henry Ross Stewart, Sr., December 1855, Henry Hooper, May 1856, Ben Jackson, James Coleman, Henry Hopkins, William Conaway Cook, October 1856, Tilly, November 1856, Hosea Bailey, William Bailey, Peter Pennington, Elijah Manakee, May 1857, Harriet Ritt Green Ross, alias Harriet Ritt Stewart, mother, Benjamin Ross, alias Benjamin Stewart, father, November, December 1860, Stephen Enels, Maria Enels, Harriet Enels, Amanda Enels, baby Enels, John Cornish, alias John Wesley Reed, likely unidentified woman, unknown dates, Margaret Stewart and Marie Stewart, Amelia Hollis, alias Amelia Millie Hollis Stewart, Henry Carroll, Haku and Tonka for Harriet Tubman. Picture a woman riding thunder on the legs of slavery. Picture a woman walking southern landscapes burning with moons. 
picture her kissing our spines, saying no to the eyes of slavery. Picture her rotating the earth into a shape of lives becoming. Picture her leaving. Picture her leaning into the eyes of our birth clouds. Picture a woman moving in winter black, bringing summer moons. Picture this woman saying no to the constant yes of slavery. Picture a woman jumping rivers, her legs inhaling moons. Picture her right with seasons of legs running. Picture her tasting the secret corner of woods. Imagine her words, every great dream begins with a dreamer. Picture her saying you have within you the strength the patience and the passion to reach for the stars to change the world. Imagine her saying, I freed a thousand slaves, could have freed a thousand more if they only knew they were slaves. Imagine her humming, how many days we got for we taste freedom. Imagine a woman asking how many workers for this freedom quilt. Picture her saying, a live runaway could do great harm by going back, but a dead runaway could tell no secrets, could tell no secrets, could tell no secrets. Picture the daylight bringing her to woods full of birth moons. Picture John Brown shaking her hands three times saying, General Tubman, General Tubman, General Tubman. Picture her words, there's two things I got a right to, death or liberty. Picture her saying no to a play called Uncle Tom's Cabin. I am the real thing. Picture a black woman could not read or write, trailing freedom refrains. Picture her face turning southward, walking down a southern road. Picture this woman, freedom bound, tasting a people's freezer breath. Picture her singing red moons, surprising life. Picture this woman of royalty wearing a crown of morning air. Picture her walking, running, reviving a country's breath. Picture her moon-bent legs dancing inside freedom's guitars. Picture black voices leaving behind lost tongues. Picture her painting rainbows on a summer-bent people. Picture a woman, I say, picture a woman walking on freedom legs, a sea spray of life, a sea spray of life, a sea spray of life. For Harriet Tubman. Thank you so much. Well, you brought ancestors right into the space with us right. and i am reflecting on your cadence for the word unidentified because you slow it down to unidentified and it almost sounds like on i the right. lacking of the i to right. be the self that is named is right. that kind of what you were driving at what I was doing, I wanted to slow it down and also just to to show um, uh, by stretching it out just 
we don't even talk about the un real unidentified people. There's so many more. So you had to just stretch it out to remind people just how many people were unidentified, uh, um, how many were not seen or heard or known, um, or how many died, how many did not stay alive, how many escaped in the creases, what I call the creases of night, right? Never mm -hmm. to be heard from again, uh, you know, period. So all of that, yes. And it reminds me of you a year ago at uh -huh. uh, Kent State University, bringing oh. the names forward of the wounded from right. the massacre there in 1970. So naming has an almost biblical level of importance in your work. It feels that this beautiful act, this essential act, could be something, I know your grandmother was a religious woman and that might be connecting back to her. I know so much does in your sense of language. Very much so. Um, my grandmother, mama, my mo mother died giving birth to twins. Um, um, and some years later, I gave birth to twins and, and, and right. lived. Yeah, and um, um, you know, the, that's an amazing thing about that. And mama, my grandmother, uh, came and picked me and my sister up and, uh, and took us to live with her. Uh, um, and um, she was an amazing woman because I was um, the youngest, uh, a child that I'm told later on uh, was always in some kind of trouble, um, hmm. um, uh, meaning simply that they sit me outside to play, but they put all these little pretty dresses on and I would come back in with the dresses, you know, with something torn, with dirt, hair out, you know, braids out. We had these long braids and with ribbons on it. My ribbons were gone, the braids were out. But my sister, uh, Pat, would come back in looking the same way she looked from the morning. <laughs> you know, clean, nothing torn, braids in place, whatever. And my, um, my aunts who lived with us, they said, oh, look at Patricia. Isn't she just perfect? Look how beautiful she looks, whatever. And then they turned and looked at me and said, and hey, look at Sonia. Oh, look at her. I mean, everything was torn out of place because I ran. I went outside and played. But mama, uh, my grandmother would say, me, said, just like the girl be, she'd be mm -hmm. all right. Uh, um, and there I was, uh, you know, uh, with her protected always uh, yes. with her. Um, and, and seeing the irrepressibleness of you and letting you be. Yes. And I used to run with the boys, which was the other thing that, uh, you know, they, they played. My sister and, and the other girls would just stand and look pretty. <laughs> like, you know, they didn't move. They would move someplace gently and, and come back. But they were like, almost like posing for the day. And I ran and I climbed trees and jumped over stuff and whatever. And one day with them came this big argument, like who's the leader? And you know, it was never solved. So I said, come on. So we ran to my house and um, we went into the bedroom and we had this very high window and then, you, uh, and then you could see the yard. And so I climbed up and I said, the ones who jumps out of this and lands on 
uh, her feet or his feet, you know, will be the leader. Well, they went and ran to get my grandmother, right? And right. everybody else and my sister. But I got in the window and by that time, I needed, I had to jump, you know, how could you lose faith, you know, face, right? And so I jumped, but I had looked, there was a huge tree and I, I knew I could hit the tree. I used to climb the tree and slide down the tree, but I jumped too hard and I hit the tree oh. and fell down on my knees. And of course my, my, my aunts uh, came out shaking their heads and mama came out and picked me up and said, you all right, girl, your knees hurt. Uh, uh, go get me some mercurochrome, you know, uh, mm -hmm. to, to put on her knees, you know, you don't hear the word mercurochrome anymore, do you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you hear alcohol. And they did that. And, and mama looked at me and said, you okay? And, and she said, okay, go play. And I went and played, you know, and, and, and I said, I announced I'm the leader, but it didn't mean anything because the next day we came out to play, nobody was the leader. We just played, <laughs> which tells you, something about uh children yeah. you know you know they're not that anxious always to be the leader you know they if it gets solved one day the next day is unimportant i wish our leaders could deal with like that also too the adult ones and understand that many people can be leaders uh just beside uh, themselves so that was mama you know uh, and very religious woman she was a head deaconess in our church right wow. so um every saturday Wherever I was out playing, I saw these women, these elderly women coming in, you know, in their long dresses, right, to uh, to prepare to cook food for the next day. Wherever I would come in and mama would see me, I'd slide behind the couch just to listen to them. I mean, it was amazing what they talked about. I did a piece um, about that, you know, about uh, my grandmother. You know, and um, and but every now and then they would say something funny, and so I would laugh. And she shoot her eyes around the couch, like you better keep quiet, or you had to leave. So I would keep quiet, and they would they would say things like, uh, you know, you know, Sister Joe, um, Brother Thomas is beating his wife, and there was a silence. You could hear the cracking, you know, snapping of the beans. You know, you could mm -hmm. just hear it whatever. And, uh, and one of them said, well, um, we, we have to go over and talk to her and tell her what she has to do. <laughs> right. You know, and I'm sitting there listening, whatever. And my grandmother would say, mama would say, well, you take, um, uh, uh, you take sister Louise's, uh, 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 baby over to sister, uh, Brenda's, uh, baby. Uh, because they both are nursing for that for that baby to stay and mm -hmm. and take Sister Louise's son over to uh, uh, Sister Thomasina's because she has a boy the same age they can play, and then there was a snapping of beans. I remember sitting there saying, so thinking, no, okay, we'll go, what is it? And then the the, the snapping of the beans stopped. They said, and then we'll go over and tell her what she's supposed to do and what she's supposed to say to stop the beatings, you know, that some of these men give us, right? And then the snapping of the beans continued. And then you would hear them say, uh, we tell her to put the water on the stove until it got hot and then turn off the fire and then wake him up and, 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 and point to the stove with the hot water and say, you hit me again. The next time you go to sleep, I'm gonna pour this water 
all over you. And what it is, it could be hot grits too, you know, <laughs> right? I remember that. It's ingrained in my brain. And so they had no psychologist. They had probably not even a preacher to go to who was a male, right? Uh, but they figured it out among themselves. And then, of course, they laughed and said, they'll never hit him again, or they'll never hit her again, because they had experienced the same thing. There were no psychologists there telling mm -hmm. them what to do, but they were telling each other what to do. I remember and that forever, forever and ever, you know. And mm -hmm. I remember Toni Morrison talking about you and she doing something similar with the childcare. You mm -hmm. were all moms and you were all writers and you were all trying to bring up the children in New York and you were sharing it out. Amongst yeah, yeah, my dear sister, by ourselves, you know, um, um, and also feeling guilt most of the time, you know what I'm saying? Because you think you take away from them with the writing, but I would write with them around me, you know, mm -hmm. uh, when they were little, I would put them in the what do you call those a playpen, right? And I would have my notebook and I'd be stretched out on the couch watching them. And if they said something, needed something, I'd get up and get a bottle, you know, whatever, and come back and write, you know, uh, or make an outline of what I really wanted to say at some particular point. Um, I would go to the park with them in the stroller, you know, you know, with a bottle. And I'd be sitting there writing also. You wrote whatever you could write. But above all, what I did is I learned how to write between the teaching and, and, and taking care of the children, I would, you know, come home with them when they were uh, in first, second grade, you know, uh, you know, give them something to eat, uh, help them with the homework, uh, feed them dinner, you know, do all the things you have to do, you know, and then I would go and, and begin to grade papers or read papers. And then from about one o'clock until about 3.30 or four o'clock in the morning, I wrote. I wrote in my study, you know, I had the fire, a fire going in there. I turned down the uh, thermostat, uh, th thermostat um, um, got all that done at some particular point, right? And then at four o'clock, I had a little alarm in there. I was pulled the, uh, the old fashioned one, pulled the, the thing out. So it would alarm at, at, at uh, 6.30. And at 6 30 I got up knocked on the doors come on get up get in the shower you know get dressed you know I'm going to go downstairs and they would say no oatmeal today mom because they hated oatmeal right you know and I would get I said, okay cold cereal and I get the juice and the cold cereal out and I know I would make something for them to take with each other them, themselves and while they were eating I'd run upstairs and jump in the shower and get dressed and get my briefcase we didn't have the roller things uh, get my briefcase that was already packed from the night before and head out in the car to take him to school. And when I got to um, my class at 8.30, uh, the class began at 8.40, when some of the students were coming at 8.50 who lived on campus, I said, look, if I can get here, you know, at 8.30 on time for an 8.40 a.m. class, you live on campus, you can get here too, you know, so let's not be late. And my day would begin at that particular point, uh, my dear sister. Um, and as I hear you recount it now, there's mm -hmm. such a lilt. There's no complaining. You just put well, you your know, shoulders I, into the work. I, you know, I used um, to say, I used to tell my friends and, and, and Tony people, I mean, I, all I need, if someone would just give me something so I could write for a year. No, because I... I taught a lot of politics in my class, my dear sister, so I wasn't always kept at a university, you know, after right. 
years, I was out of there again, right? Looking for a place. So, you know, I just, and then I, I would say, oh, I mean, just this teaching. But you know what I found out about my teaching? My teaching made me much more human, you know? Uh, some of the thing, ideas I brought uh, to a classroom dissipated when you looked at a classroom of black, whites, browns, uh, Latino students, you know, white students, black students, right, uh, Asian students, whatever. You came in and your scenario, you know, had to change. You had to explain things. You had to bring them within that circle of, of what it means to be human. Um, uh, uh, Teaching made my writing better, made me as a human being better. Although I complain about, oh, why can't I get this and that and, and stay home for a year and do nothing? Because I was always tired, granted. But you know, my dear sister, uh, being in the classroom made me truly understand um, why I taught and also why I wrote. And now we'll pause for a short break. The Asterix is a project of the Cleveland Foundation to bring more readers and listeners into conversation with the best writers in English, in this case, recipients of the Annisfield Wolf Book Award. We now return to the conversation. This reminds me of three lines that you wrote that are among my favorites. And these lines are, let me wear the day well, so when it reaches you, you will enjoy it. No, I wrote that to my twins. In 1973, we went, uh, what they call uh, cultural workers, um, uh, people you know who dealt with culture, were invited to China mm. uh, after Nixon had, had gone to China at that time. Uh, Candace Bergen, Shirley MacLaine, uh, John Killens, um, oh, I forget the, the, the sister who was a fascinating playwright, um, uh, the San Francisco Mime Troupe, um, we all went there, about 26, six of us strong, went to be what they call um, uh, cultural workers. In 1973, when I say it, I, I look at the audience and say to the students, many of you were, never, were not born or even a thought at any, at any <laughs> time at that particular point, right? <laughs> but I went, we went there and um, uh, it was just an amazing moment uh, for me. Uh, we took, uh, we got out, got off in Hong Kong. We took a train into the southern part of, of China. Uh, we saw where the chairman uh, grew up, where he lived, where he was born, and then we came to uh, at that time Peking, uh, Beijing. And I decided I we were gone for two weeks by then. So I got on the telephone. I remember asking, getting through to the operator, collect the call collect, you know, I don't have the money to pay, collect. And so finally it went through, it was so clear. My aunt Sarah answered the phone and said, oh, Sonia, are you back in the States? I said, no, I'm in Peking. She <laughs> said, oh, I said, but let me speak to the children. I said, I don't know how much this call is gonna cost me by the time I get home, right? But I need to talk. So they got on, so she, you know, we had the, 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 the extensions. And so they got an extension and said, mommy, 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 did you get our swords? They wanted these wooden swords and the caps and the jackets. And we hadn't had time to 
chopping. I lied and said, yes, I finally got them uh, in Shanghai. Um, I said, yes. They said, oh, oh. And I said, but it's, it's Monday. And I just wanted to tell you how much I love you. And I'll be home in another two weeks. Um, and I said, it's Monday morning. Then I heard this 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 sound that they called Aunt Sarah. Aunt Sarah, mommy thinks it's Monday, but it's really Sunday, huh? <laughs> it was so funny. And I said, I don't have time to try to explain this to these little ones, right? Um, and I said, um, on the way to climb the Great Wall of China, um, I wrote the haiku, let me wear the day well, so when it reaches you, you will enjoy it, set with one breath as the haku is said with one breath. Um, um, and and um, um, I realized that I was reading the day before my children greeted the day. And if I wore the day well, that day in, in, in Beijing, right? By the time they got the day at home, they would be obliged, uh, my children and Aunt Sarah, to wear the day well, so when I did a reading at the University of Beijing, I said, I want to end with the only poem I've written so far. I made lots of notes, and that was the poem I read. And one of the officials stood up and said, ah, oh, Professor Sanchez, if we here in the East learn how to wear our days well, perhaps by the time you get the day in your country in the West, perhaps we will have peace. That is the beauty of the haki. Of the, of the haku, you know. I love knowing the origin of that and the reciprocity. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting to me that the haiku just made you fall out when you first discovered it in the New York 8th Street bookshop. 8th Street bookstore, right. I was studying with a woman by the name of Louise Bogan, the great writer, you know. Uh, I've been mentored. Yeah, yes, I had been searching for some, you know, workshops. And every time I went to a workshop after, you know, um, uh, I was out of, out of Hunter, Hunter College with a free education, I tell the students we've only paid $100 a semester to get a free education. Can you imagine? Um, um, you know, I, uh, I, I went to some of these other workshops taught by really uh, well-known people. And they were like, all men. Hmm. And I walked in, I was the only female and the only black sitting there. And I would sit there and something, I would raise my hand. Every now and then I was recognized. Most times I was ignored. And after a couple of sessions, I dropped out, right? I tried a couple of them, um, uh, you know. And so finally, I mean, at some point you just, uh, I, I, I was taking grad courses at uh, NYU and I looked through the bulletin and there was a course, a poetry course uh, taught by Louise Bogan, who was um, the poetry editor of the New Yorker, right? Mm -hmm. And so I said, go in, sit by the door, don't register for this and see what happens. So I sat by the door, right? And just watched her. There were 45 people in there, all men except for one other woman, only two women in there because poetry was about men, not about women at that time. Important. And so I sat there and she, Louise Bogan was a fascinating woman. She said, does anyone here have a poem to read on this first day? And all the hands went up. And I said, okay, Sonia, now's the time. I raised my hand and she asked my name and I went up front. I read the poem. And the amazing thing that happened for the first time in my life, hands went up. 
in that class to comment on what I had written. But above all, the teacher, the professor commented on it. And I sat down and said, you're gonna register for this class. And I did. Um, what a profound thing that you were seeing because this was the same era of Ruth Bader Ginsburg where women students weren't seen. They were oddities. They were annoying in their intelligence. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I can't really express to you, and I'm doing my memoir now, and you know, one of the people was a was a became a renowned writer, and the and I was invited to to go to town hall to read. We were doing and um, um, uh, poems against the war in Vietnam, and I turned around and I was with someone. You know, I won't mention her name. Uh, and she said, here comes that guy who you told me about that, you know, didn't, wouldn't respond to you in the, in the classroom. And he came up to me and said, Sonia, Sonia, oh, it's so good see, having you here. You know, I requested that you come and be a part of this reading. And we hugged. And I said, thank you, my brother. You know, and it's an honor to be here. But then my friend said, why didn't you curse him out, Sonia? Why didn't you tell him, you're the blah, blah, blah. And I said, do you know how many years have passed since then? And I said, if I were to do that, then I would think no one can change. I've changed. You've changed. You know, he's changed, whatever. So, but I'm going to put him at a sta in a state of stasis to go back 20 years and say, you haven't changed. That's madness. He had changed, if you understand. And that's the joy about this, is it not, my dear sister, is that we all have the ability to change, to evolve, you know. And so I hugged and thanked him for inviting me, although he didn't remember me from the years, you know, uh, from before. But the, the point is that it was unnecessary to remember me then. He knew me then at that time, and we were all engaged uh, with doing a huge, huge reading, poetry reading uh, against the war in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And your generosity increased the peace, the peace in the space, the peace in his heart, mm -hmm. so that he could be a better version of who right. he was meant to become. That's right. And I could be a better self, too. Continue yeah. Try to evolve to be more, you know, we, we tend to carry sometimes such such pain in our in our in our bodies because of what someone said you know and i mean you know everyone knows you know but when, when i first started to write and we 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 discovered i mean we discovered we had been enslaved so we didn't come out saying by golly by gee we were enslaved we came out you know i mean you were like slapping everybody you could slap because you in quotes were enslaved but to think if you had continued writing like that that was like, you know, madness. And you saw people, you know, who were stretching for peace, stretching for uh, how, how do you walk upright, upright as a human being? We were all stretching for that here in a place called America. And so you had to open up and receive people when you realize that's what they were doing at some particular point, uh, you know, and it, it was difficult. Um, because, you know, in many of our sessions, you know, you heard things that, that, that made you break down and cry. Uh, you heard a woman say that, you know, that she was in, you know, she you know, took care of the newborn babies and every now and then you drop a baby and she dropped 
one of the babies, she wouldn't report it. You know, she just kind of wiped the baby off and put it back in the bassinet, whatever, you know? Uh, and she was in tears about what she had done. Um, and we, uh, we were all in tears, but we, what we were doing is that we were trying to say, you know, this is not what we do today. This is not what anyone will do today. Uh, this is, uh, we have learned from some of these mistakes that we as women, but as women, you know, we've got to understand the need to come and process, you know, what it is that we're trying to do, um, trying to walk upright as human beings, uh, which is very difficult you know, in, 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 in this, in this time, you know, at this particular point, um, there are all... so many headwinds and yet here we stand a hundred years past the 19th amendment. And mm -hmm. here we hold in our hands as women, the opportunity to set the course, as you said, a year ago in Cleveland, when mm -hmm. you stood up on the stage and mm -hmm. you told us to vote and mm -hmm. you told us to resist. Mm -hmm. Yes. My dear sister, you know, I remember someone said to me years ago, well, you know, my, my husband votes for this person, so I have to vote for that person. I turned around and said, why? He's not in the voting booth with you. How would he ever know how you voted? And you realize sometimes just how the suppression that's put on women and how some women are frightened, you know, to veer off you know, the, the beaten path, you know, the, the path that uh, has been laid out for them, uh, you know, along the way. Um, but yes, we do. Uh, we do have to know at some particular point that um, all of us here on this earth are, are put here for a reason. Um, you know, we come out sometimes, you know, crying, as someone said to me once a long time ago, crying and screaming, whatever, et cetera, because we were, we, were, we were saying, I was so warm inside, now you've given me this cold world to look at. And then we laughed and said together, and it gets colder even, <laughs> right, as we, as we move on. But the point is for us, you know, as we move in churches and in mosques, mosques and synagogues and, you know, in, 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 in freedom houses, you know, in, in places where you just go and sit, you know, uh, and, and don't say anything for the whole sermon, but you think about your own thoughts, you hope that your thoughts are being purified and cleansed, you know, by the building, right, you know. Um, can I share some something with you that I only shared with my family? It's a, a big Quaker center downtown, and I was invited by one of the brothers who worked there at the center to come and give a talk. And I was coming off of a three-day fast, so I was saying, okay. So I was very clear, but also, you know, um, 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 you, know, you know, a little woozy. I hadn't eaten, so I only took something to drink. And I got into the, the, the house there, you know, um, where, they, where you, they had just the benches. And I'm getting ready to read. And as I began to read, this is interesting, I'm beginning to read, I made a poem that I've read 20 million times. I began to make mistakes hmm. from the beginning. I mean, I made a mistake on every line. And I turned to the audience there and said, that's unusual. I know this poem almost by heart and I don't memorize poems. Let me try that again. And I stood up straight, right? And I started to read the poem and I'm making mistakes after mistakes. And finally, the brother who had invited me said, yes, you are making mistakes, Professor Sanchez. And I looked up 
in the audience and I saw a person, you know, with cup all covered up, long and white. And I, and the person, I actually heard the person say, help me, help me, help me. And I put my head down like this. I, I'm saying, my, my golly, by gee, Sonia, you know, like you came in for a poetry reading, right? You know, and I looked up again and she was said, help me. I could tell, I didn't know if she was white, black. No, I didn't know. All I could see was the, the, the white thing over her head, whatever, et cetera, and, and, and a fair skin. And all I, something said, say, all right, I will. And I said, I will. I will help you. And then some other people turned and, and one of the, uh, the young women said that I know her today, said, I see her, right. And I remember getting down, falling down on my knees actually. And the, the man who ran the program helped me up. And I said, I looked up, everything had dissipated, it was gone. And I said, let me do the reading. And I started to read and no mistakes, just <laughs> And I said, you know, I, let me explain to you that I saw some apparition. I saw someone who was asking for help. I said, did anything ever happen in this building? And one of the archivists said, well, in this building, there was a long discussion about whether the Quakers should have keep their slaves. And I said, oh, okay, I, can I meet with you later so I could, you know, I like to write something on this, whatever, et cetera. Um, but um, every now and then I remember that, you know, especially on days like today, um, uh, when we understand at some point that there's so much that we must see that we've got to advance our, this, this country, this country that has come through slavery enslavement this country that has come through uh, indentured service, this country that has come through children being burned up in factories because they were like, you know, uh, paid so little money, but they were worked. Um, um, uh, this country that has strikes, you know, uh, where people were beaten and killed. This, this country where they would burn people up in houses, if you understand truly, yeah. uh, you know, when people came, when our soldiers came back from World War I and, and it seemed as if these Negroes were getting out of control, uh, people in St. Louis, you know, would burn them up. Uh, uh, when you had uh, a black men and women becoming millionaires in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? You know, and, um, and people were coming into that place and couldn't understand how Negroes, right? Former enslaved people could have, could be rich with all these houses and fancy stuff that they had. And all of a sudden someone calls out that someone, they think some, a, black, a white woman is being attacked and all hell breaks loose, you know, uh, the Tulsa so-called riot there, right? Mm -hmm. um, and where for the first time, bombs are dropped on an American city by Americans, right? That's that Tulsa, what happened there. Um, and then coming full circle here in Philadelphia, a bomb was dropped on moving. Wow. Yeah. And um, so what I'm saying at some point, if we don't talk about this, these things will be repeated time and time again. If we don't say to people at some point via our poetry, via our teachings, right? Um, um, my, my students, um, 
I had gone to Tulsa, Oklahoma after two years after I had moved here to Philadelphia to give a talk. And the mayor gave a, a reception for me at, at, at his house. I didn't know the person, but I walked in and I told him I'm a vegetarian, so they had a salad for me. I had been salad out on the road, you know, and I was so hungry saying, oh gosh, is there rice? There was no rice, there were potatoes, you know, and stuff. And so there was this old black man sitting by himself and I walked over and said, do you, have you been served? He said, no. He said, no, I haven't, daughter. I said, would you like to get some food? Yes, daughter. So I went and got him food and brought it there and you know, put it down. And he said, could I have something to drink? And I went and got something to drink and brought it back. And then I brought dessert. And I'm sitting, he said, aren't you going to eat, daughter? I said, well, there's only lettuce and tomatoes there. And I said, uh -huh. I've got enough lettuce and tomatoes on this, on, on this, on my trip. I'll get something later on. And then he looked at me with this very sly smile. I bet you don't know what happened here, do you? <laughs> and I looked at him, sizing him up in terms of his age. I said, mm, whatever it was had to be in the early 20th century, you know, maybe the late 19, 18, 19, and 20s, whatever, et cetera. And I, I leaned forward. He said, you have a paper and pencil? So I went in my purse, you know, we carry little notebooks. He said, write down this number. And he gave me the number. He said, write down this name, Mr. Jones. He said. I said, aha, I wrote it down. And I put it away. I said, leaning to see what happened. He said, you go home and you call me. When you find out what happened, call me. I'm thinking, I've fed this man. I've, I've conversed with him. Uh, you know, I've gotten him seconds on stuff. You know, I've gotten him soda, whatever. You're supposed to tell me what happened here. And now you're telling me when you go home and you find out what happened, right, call me. So I got home and I remember calling a young grad assistant. I said, go to the library, tell me what happened in Tusk, Oklahoma, the, you know, the end of, of about 1917, 18, 19, or the tw early 20s. She went there, she said, there's nothing, there's nothing in newspapers even, at Professor Sanchez. Mm. And I thought, your library, my library, I mean, my library was a library, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So I went in there and I pulled and she, there it was, Tusk, Oklahoma. That every now and then when we talked about the 20s, right, I would say, you know, the so-called riots happened. I never mentioned Tulsa because I mentioned the other places where people, children coming home from school had gotten inside and they had been burnt. Yeah. The house had been nailed shut and burnt, you know, whatever. So this is the kind of thing that I am looking at at this particular point. And I, um, I find out, but the funny thing is that the next day, I will call him, Mr. Jones, uh, this is uh, uh, Sonia Sanchez. Uh, remember, I met you, yes, daughter, how are you today? I said, I found out what happened. And before I could tell him, I said, good. Well, that's good for you. Ah, good, now you tell people about it, goodbye. <laughs> you know, I thought we're gonna have a great conversation all our lives together, right, you know? And he said, thank you. That's it. Goodbye, <laughs> whatever. And but that because so of that, beautifully with the poem you read at the beginning, with mm -hmm. the incantation of names and unidentified, right? 
that's unidentified, right? And now, you know, they're 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 finding bodies there, you know. Um, but, but the thing about that, I came back and put it into my curriculum, you know, into when I taught. And when the bombing happened here in Philadelphia, that the newscaster said, "This is the first time a bomb has been dropped on." And my students called the radio stations and the TV stations says, oh, no, 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 this is the second time. Do you know they didn't believe them? When I got home, I checked my messages on my answering service, and there was a call from NBC, uh, CBS, or whatever the other station is. Professor Sanchez, we got uh, uh, some calls from your students that said this was not the first time. And to our knowledge, this is the first time this has happened. Uh, they said it's the second time. And we want to verify this. Uh, so I actually had to verify with them and told them. And so the next semester when I got some of the same students, they said, you see, you think we don't listen, Professor Sanchez. And I said, no, you listen. And I'm so grateful that you listened because you corrected a city at some point about the information that they had, right? Amen. And the, were, mm -hmm. the observation you made that we're all here to do something mm -hmm. makes me want to say you are here to teach. Oh, and yeah. that I feel braver and your listeners and readers feel braver when we are with your words. Thank you well, so much. I feel brave when I meet women like you and the work that you do, uh, you know, and how you organize and bring all of us together. I'm so grateful for your bringing me there, you know, for that award. I'm so grateful for the care that you gave uh, all of us, all the writers, as we came together and looked at each other and read our work and, and talked to that grand audience that you've been doing that for years and years and years. And it is a holy, it became for me a holy place. You know, uh, and that's what you do. That's the work you're doing when you give those awards to those people who try to affect change, who try to make us all human, walk upright as human beings. You are doing holy work. And it was such a joy to be a part of that holy work with you there, you know, in Ohio. Thank you, because it was a sacrament to be together. Mm -hmm. And we will be together again. Thank you, my dear sister. The Asterix is brought to you by the Cleveland Foundation. The executive producer is Alan Ashby, and the producer is Jay Williams of WOVU Radio. I'm Karen Long, who manages the prizes. Thank you for listening.